Good morning, good morning. It is good to be back. Um, my family and I, we've been in the most magical place on the earth, apparently, for the past seven days or so. We got back Friday night. Um, we surprised our kids with a, a Disney vacation that, miraculously, we were one-slash-gifted in February, which is, is pretty crazy. Um, so we moved into a, a new house, and then we left for Disney, and we're still kind of semi-not in a home yet. We're living with the Bonners at the moment who are not in town, so thank you, David and Sarah, for opening up your house to us uh, while our floors um, smell like polyurethane. Um, but yeah, so good to be back. Man, everybody that made last week possible while we were gone, man, Andrew, you did a great job last week, not to make you feel awkward. You did great. Zach, thanks for stepping up and just in, in leading so well, and, and John and, and Ashley and everybody and Kip for picking up the struggle, all these things that were done that we could not do. Um, we we're super grateful. Thank you that we didn't have to worry about a thing, and we could just tune in. I got to watch on uh, Sunday night, kind of sitting in a, a Little Mermaid hotel room kind of a deal. Um, so Ariel got to watch, too, and uh, got to pray. I prayed along with you guys. It was good to see Tina on the screen. Tina, thank you for, um, for sending that in. It was great. Uh, just, man, it was so good. But I'm glad to be back. Um, I want to do this before, uh, before we jump in. Um, we sponsor kids in Guatemala, and if you're drinking the coffee today, it's, it's another Guatemalan connection. We, we made sure we could try to get some Guatemalan coffee, even though you might not know. It's just one more connection for us to our folks in Guatemala, who we may or may not get to see this year. It's not looking good. Um, so, but if you, if you sponsor a child, would you raise your hand? If you currently sponsor a child, yes. Yeah, so it's this side of the room. Um, that's Okay. Uh, next time you guys remember that, if you sponsor a kid this side, if you don't, that side feel guilty. Um, I'm kidding. But, man, their faces and their packets are on that table back there. It's just under $40 a month, and, and it helps provide for them education and a lot of things. And it actually goes to the entire community of Kakapek. Um, and so it's a big deal what we get to do. And normally we go down once a year, but due to COVID, um, and my kids, are they keep saying, I hate COVID. Well, we do too. Um, we're looking forward to when it no longer influences things like this. But... Uh, if you, have an, if you sponsor a child, would you shout out their name really quickly this morning? Yeah, that, that worked a lot better in my head than it did. Um, like this row, what's, what's the all's kid's name? What is it? Rodelson? Okay, what about you guys? Elmar? Who? Henry? Henry? Enos? Axel? I love that name. Man, he was great in Guns N' Roses. Um, Kip? Edgar and Ivan? Yeah, anybody else? Okay, so if you heard one of those names and it kind of stuck with you, uh, we're going to pray for our, our folks in Guatemala. They've had a tough year, man, <laughs> like hurricanes, floods, COVID, all that kind of stuff. A lot of them are displaced right now, um, and FH or Food for the Hungry, like they, even their network and operations has been severely impeded because the roads aren't great anyway. Um, like if you get, if you went with us a couple years ago, they really, they have paths, not really roads, but they drive on them with buses and dirt bikes. And so a lot of those are washed away. And so even getting aid to them has been difficult. Um, and so, uh, we're going to pray for them this morning. If you heard a name, that's great. Ours is Enos, if that's the only ones you heard. Uh, but pray that God's blessing them. They're able to hear from Jesus. They're getting their, their education. They're doing all those things and that they're safe. Um, and that we'll be able to see them soon. And if you, if you want to go with us when we get to go back, man, we would love to take you. It is, it's a life-changing experience. That's, uh, it's it's labor-intensive. It's a lot of walking, a lot of hiking. But you get to meet people who are, man, who are just starving to be loved. And they are loved. But, man, it, it's amazing to see um, their capacity for love and their capacity to serve. Like, you can learn a lot. We can learn a lot. 
uh, and we get to serve a ton. And so if we would, let's take a minute and just pray for those. And if God just lays something special in your heart, you pray for that, and then we'll, we'll jump right in. God, we thank you for uh, partnerships. We thank you for our partnership with Food for the Hungry and what they do, uh, the amount of good that they do, and the scale on which they do it is um, it's amazing worldwide. Uh, but specifically, Lord, in Kakapek, of uh, just their ability to love and to serve and to provide uh, and to work alongside people that are already doing it. Um, God, we thank you for that. We pray for the churches that exist uh, in that area, God, we pray that you are blessing them and uh, that your spirit is filling them and enabling them to serve that community. Uh, we pray that people are being, being able to hear about the gospel, the good news of Jesus on a daily basis, and that, Father, even with their limited uh, resources, they were able to serve with everything that they have. God, I look forward to the day to where we can see Enos again and Axel and all the other names and Henry and all the other names that were named. God, we pray that you are, you're watching after them. You're taking care of their family. Uh, we pray that they have enough to eat. Uh, we pray that their homes are still intact. Uh, we pray that their families are safe. We pray that they have not been severely affected by COVID. Uh, and God, we pray that you would bring us back to them soon. Uh, Father, we also pray for, for more families within this family and connected to this family that would, that would sponsor more children, um, that would enable us to serve them uh, in, a, in a broader capacity. Um, and God, we, uh, we just thank you for what you've allowed us to do. I pray that you're teaching us in it, uh, that you're blessing us through it, and God, that you enable us just to see how good it is that uh, even thousands of miles away, uh, we can be connected to people, provide, a, uh, provide just a little bit of help for them, but uh, have the opportunity to build a relationship and pray for them on a daily basis. Uh, God, we love you, we thank you, and it's in your son's name we pray, amen. Yeah, so if you would like to know more about that, my wife, uh, she's right there, Brown Cardigan, uh, she will be happy to uh, talk to you about that. There's several packets back there, and we'd love to give you more information. Um, today, uh, we're not in any particular series because the next two weeks, uh, we will be out of pocket a little bit. Uh, like Zach said, next week we'll be in McPherson Park. If you have putters and golf balls, bring them. There is a putt-putt course. If you have other yard games, bring those. If you have whatever, bring it. Lawn darts apparently are not in favor anymore, and if you didn't grow up when I did, you don't even know what those are, but they're giant darts that you threw up in the air, and it was awesome, but apparently that's not safe anymore. But if you have them, go ahead, bring them. Um, and so bring a picnic for your family. Uh, we'll have a brief devotional, and we'll also take communion together because it's the first Sunday of the month. Um, we'll do it outdoors. We'll gather around the gazebo, um, which is French for shelter. Uh, that's not French for shelter, is it, Nico? But, um, but either way, uh, we'll gather around the gazebo out there, and we'll throw out our blankets, have a picnic, and just enjoy being together. 10.30, not 9.30. Bring your own coffee. Bring your own food. And then the next week, we'll be virtual only. The Old Cigar, this is kind of a busy season for them, and they've asked that we not be here for the next couple of weeks so that they can continue to do what they're, they're here to do. And so we're grateful. You saw part of that outside today. Thanks for being flexible with parking. Um, if you have your Bibles, open to Revelation chapter 3 today. That's right, Revelation. Uh, don't be afraid. Um, we're going to be okay. Uh, there's a couple things that I want to be able to do today. Um, like, I, I want to speak to you as people that are intent on studying the Bible. I want to give you a little bit of an idea as to what it means to be, uh, to, to carefully study Scripture. Okay, there's that. So that's, that's kind of a side note. But mainly, I want to talk to us about what it means to be like this idea of kingdom usefulness. Um, to be honest, like this entire week has been a blur. It, I mean, it's really like been a blur. Like I, I never, I haven't been to Disney since I was 12. I definitely haven't been with two of my own children, an eight-year-old as of last Sunday and a 10-year-old. 
and to see all of what they did and the scope and the expanse of what they did was mind-boggling. And I feel like anybody that feels like they have the gift of hospitality probably needs to go to Disney and see that we're all severely lacking. Like they do it on a scale that I've never even thought that they could do it, especially being paid like $13 an hour. I don't know how they do it. Like Liza had on a birthday button all week, every single person from custodian to bathroom worker to uh, waiter or waitress said, happy birthday, princess, how old are you? Everyone. Amazing to see. And like just unreal. Um, But I kind of wanted to talk to us today about like who we are in Jesus, but also like what's the expectation of the rest of my life. I know, you're like, wow, that's a lot. Well, we're going we're gonna to do our best to do that today. Uh, Revelation, interesting book. I don't think we've never done like an entire series in Revelation. Um, I'm not ready for that. Uh, we will do that at some point. But today, we're just going to look at uh, one of the letters to one particular church. And just to give you an idea, it's one of these, uh, one of these passages that's quoted frequently, but completely misrepresented and misinterpreted. And I can say that with full assurance, that a majority of the times that I've heard it talked about, it's been completely mistold as to what it's actually saying. And so we're going to pray, we're going to read this, and we're going to bounce around to a couple different places in between. Um, and I want to warn you, like, there, it's very likely when we're reading Scripture and we're reading it well, there could be something in there called conviction. Okay, that's the Holy Spirit and His interaction with us to let us know that we are potentially missing the mark or doing something wrong. Uh, Don't mistake that for worldly guilt today. Okay, if we hear that, if we feel that, understand that as God's way of trying to gracefully and lovingly redirect us to bring us to where He wants us. Uh, We generally think about conviction in in two ways, or we need to. Uh, Sins of commission, things that we are currently doing that we don't need to be doing, but also sins of omission, things that we should be doing but we're not. Um, Today it will possibly be the latter. So if you feel that, don't feel uncomfortable. You can squirm a little bit, but there is something at the end that we'll come back to that's also uh, very graceful and very hope-giving and all of that. So just bear with me. Uh, God, today I pray as we look at your word and we think well about your scripture and what you've written to us, I pray that we would do it um, the way that you would desire for us to do it. We would uh, approach it with humility. Uh, We would approach it as learners, people that want to know you better and be used by you more. Uh, God, I pray that you would speak to each one of us, affirm that we are doing exactly what you want us to do, or, or Father, convict us that we need to redirect, we need to change course a bit. Thank you for your word and its ability, God, through your uh, interaction with your spirit in us to, to gracefully move us uh, and redirect our compasses. God, I pray that you would do that today. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So this was one of the letters to one of the particular churches that John, uh, while he was on the Isle of Patmos, was inspired to write. Um, let's go ahead and start chapter 3, verse 14, and we will read through uh, 18, and then we'll, we'll bounce around a little bit. It says, And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. Verse 15, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see." So this is one of these passages. It sounds like a great warning, and it is. It's written to a a church called Laodicea, and and one thing that I want to point out before we go any further, it is written to a body of believers, 
Okay, it's not written to non-believers. It is written to a church. A church is quantified by this, that we have been united with God through Jesus, indwelled by the very Spirit of God. We should know God as it relates to being called the church. So it's being written to believers. And this is the, this is the warning that comes out. It says, I know your works. I know what you do. You are neither cold nor hot, and I wish that you would be one or the other. Would that you be, or just be one or the other, but because you are lukewarm, somewhere in between, which we'll talk about, um, the desire God is speaking, he says, I desire to throw you up. Like this week, we went to Epcot, and uh, Disney's going to make its way back in, and, and my, my daughter, Eliza, was, she was my coaster buddy. She rode everything with me. I almost broke her on the rock and roller coaster um, at Hollywood. Like, it, it just, it got her. And then, and I was fine, but until I rode Mission to Space, or Space Mission, the one to Mars, like, apparently the, you know, the, the intense one, man, it, it about got me. They had puke bags in front of me, and there were a couple times where I'm like, mm, I mean, I was reaching. I was thinking, it's going to happen. And even for the next hour, I was like, man, I wish I had one of those bags because nobody wants to see me lean over a trash can, even though a Disney employee would probably come and clean it up instantly because they were that good. Like, it almost got me. Like, it was just, I mean, it, just sitting like, hey, I'm with you, brother. It was like, no, I'm about to throw up. It was right here. Um, and so this particular passage, God is, is talking to this church, these group of believers in the place called Laodicea, and he says, look, uh, I know what you do. Um, but because of what you don't do is what he's saying, you're, you're kind of making me sick. And so those are, man, those are very strong words. That's very illustrative of just the, the way that it was making God feel about people's particular behaviors. And see, here's the thing. Most of the time when we read this, we're going to go ahead and ascribe our cultural norms uh, to the way that we interpret this, hot and cold. We're going to read that, and we're going to think that hot is one extreme, cold is the other. So maybe hot is you are completely for me, you're on fire for me. Cold is you're completely turned off. Lukewarm is somewhere in between. And then the passage says, I wish that you were just either. Here's the issue. If that's our interpretation, here, here's the fact. We're wrong. Okay, we're wrong. Now, if, we, if there were some lines missing, we could possibly believe that that's what it's saying. Hot, love me. Cold, not loving me, against me. But again, he's talking to the church, people that should be in love with God as a result of the supernatural exchange that's already occurred that we call salvation, regeneration, all of those things. And then he says this. He says, I wish that you would do one or the other. Here's the problem. Here's the breakdown with our previous interpretation. There's nowhere else in Scripture, if we're allowing Scripture to interpret Scripture, to where it would say, I wish that you just were against me. It says, would that you were either. I wish that you would either love me or hate me. If we're ascribing hot to good, cold to bad, there's nowhere else in Scripture where it's going to say, I wish that you loved me or I wish that you just hated me. Just pick one. That can't be it. That can't be right because God desires that all men come to know him, that all should be saved, that none should perish. That is his heart. It's on display in Scripture. It's on display in Jesus. It's all of those things. So that can't be what we know about this passage and what we understand. And so as, as scholars of the Bible, as people that are seeking to understand, sometimes we have to dig a little bit. And here's what we would find if we would dig. The, the people of Laodicea that we will see in the very next passage when he says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, white garments so that you may clothe yourself from the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes that you may see. The people of Laodicea, man, they had it all, almost. They had everything they could possibly need. Uh, they were stationed in a place in which uh, they had uh, one of the first medical schools that we know of, Okay, so they were teaching people how to heal each other. They produced this salve that people would use to heal visual impairances, things like that. Uh, they had um, a, a huge mercantile system. Uh, they had a textile system in place. They had everything they needed. 
They were producing this garment. I, clo- I counsel you to buy for yourself these white garments. Uh, they had gold. They had money. They had everything they could possibly need. But at some point, this is what we know historically, if we study Laodicea a little bit more, at some point, one resource that every city needed dried up, and it was water. It ran out. However they got it, wherever it came from, it stopped at some point. And so this place, Laodicea, they were dry. But there were a couple other cities around Laodicea. To the north or northward was this this town called Heropolis. Heropolis was not known for their medical schools. They weren't known for any of that stuff. They were known for these naturally occurring hot springs that just came out of nowhere. And people would go and they would get in these hot springs. Uh, Their bodies would feel better. It's like a hot tub. Um, You know, Eddie Murphy getting in a hot tub. Anyway, sorry. Um, The hot tub, they would get in. Their joints would feel better. They were known for the healing properties of just this hot water that you get in. You feel better. They had these hot springs, Heropolis. A little bit of alliteration, Heropolis Hot Springs. Uh, That's the name of a great resort that should have been there. But then to the south... Uh, was a town called Colossae. We know it from Colossians. Colossae had... There. Yep, well, we're back. We're back. Uh, yeah, Colossae had these cool mountains, these cool streams, not mountain streams, but these cool streams that stayed cool year-round. And that was a rarity. That was what they were known for. Like, that just did not happen to have those. And these cool streams were great to drink. The water was good, and it was naturally cold. Like, I don't know if you've ever drank, like, lukewarm or room temperature water when the room is like 90 degrees, not very good. It's a lot like drinking a cup of spit. Not very enticing, not good. But they had these cool streams that at any point you could grab these. But here's what we know. They didn't call it the Coriolis effect, but we know it as the Coriolis effect. They needed to get water, but because Colossae was from the south, they couldn't get water from the south. Because due to the earth's rotation and toilets flushing in different ways in different places, you can't bring water from south to north unless you have pumps. They didn't have pumps. They had aqueducts. And so what they decided to do is they decided to bring water from Heropolis to Laodicea. Here's the thing about hot springs, though. Has anybody ever been to a hot spring and smelled it? Do you know what it smells like? Sulfur. What happens when you drink sulfur? You throw up. The people at Laodicea, they decided that they would get water from Heropolis that was healing people, that people would climb in, and it was great for that. But by the time it got to them, it was no longer hot anymore. It was what? It was lukewarm. And when people drank it, it was no longer healing, but as a matter of fact, it made them sick. This passage is not saying, I wish that you loved me or I wish that you hated me. This passage is saying, look, Uh, you're here, you know me. There's a city to your north, they heal people. There's a city to your south, they bring sustenance to people. They take care of people. But you, in the middle, you know me and you are doing nothing. You're no longer hot, you're no longer healing, you can't be cool and you can't provide refreshment. You're sitting here somewhere in the middle and you're doing nothing with your salvation. They had basically taken this redemption that had been promised to them by grace through faith and they had stuffed it in their pocket and they're like, man, that's great that I've got that, but I'm not about to pull it out and do anything with it. The southern metaphor or the southern equivalent would be a pew warmer or in our case, a folding chair warmer. Someone that comes to church on a regular basis, I say comes to church because we don't call like the occurrence a church, we're the people of God, we are the church, but someone that comes to church or finds a building, calls it a church, and plops down, grateful that Jesus has uh, relocated them from the kingdom of the world to the kingdom of heaven, but just sits and does nothing. Same exact idea. Salvation has been granted to you by grace through faith, and if we're just sitting on it and not taking advantage of it, being kingdom-minded, being kingdom-useful, I beg for you to understand, I beg for me to understand, I believe it sickens God. 
He says, because you're neither hot nor cold, because you're not healing people, because you're not refreshing people, because you're doing nothing, it makes me feel like I've ridden the mission to space, <laughs> and I've been in the centrifuge, and it's, it's about to come up. Uselessness in light of the kingdom is sickening. Uselessness in light of the kingdom is sickening. I don't want to sicken my God, right? Like, it's not saying that he's going to disown us. It's not saying that he's going to cast us out because no man can snatch us from his hand. What he has saved will not be unsaved. But at the same time, my relationship with God can bring about, like, nausea. I don't want that. Do, do we want that? Because understanding the great gift of salvation, the price that has been paid for us, God's not in the business of relocation. He's in the business of redemption. If relocation is what we're after, the moment that we would have been saved, God would have plucked us from worldly obscurity. Off again, what are you doing? And so he would have plucked us from one place and put us somewhere else, but that's not what he did. What he did is he saved us here, he left us here, because there's a point for our existence, and that's for kingdom usefulness to be hot or cold, not to love God or to hate God, but to do something with who we are, to do something with who we are. But when we don't do anything, it induces nausea. Matthew chapter 5, like I I call this the Great Commission before the Great Commission. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, Uh, it's going to be up on the screen too. It says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall, it be salt, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that you may see your good works, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. In this particular passage, while Jesus was still speaking, he was prepping us to understand that what we're being saved into, what we're being redeemed into, what we're being saved from is we're being brought into this idea that we are to be something, be something different, be something that does something, be something that doesn't sit, but to be something that is active. In this place, he says, you're salt, you're light. We've talked about this on, and, and just in, in a lot of different language, but basically, look, salt, quick little Cliff Notes version. We are to add value. We are to make life better. Salt was used as currency, and it also brought about flavor, and it was a preservative. Like, hey, if we're called to be salt, man, ask the question, am I making life for those around me better? Am I adding value to my workplace and to my home? Am I preserving the very message, the very love, the very fingerprint of God in my world around me? Am I being useful? Am I being light? He said, you are also the light of the world. We don't put it under a basket to hide it from people. We don't stick it in our pocket. We don't take our salvation and sit on it. But instead, are we letting it shine before all people so that people may glorify God? Are we illuminating the way to God and the way away from sin? Are we being useful? Because that's what we've been called to be. We talked about the Great Commission a couple of weeks ago in Matthew chapter 28 and Acts chapter 1, in which we are called to make disciples, we're called to start here, called to go a little further, called to go to the place where they hate us and we hate them, and called to go as far as we can possibly imagine. Are we being useful? Am I being useful? And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, man, I love this passage, and I can't give all the details about what Paul is, is addressing at this particular place in time, but, but he talks about this in chapter 2, verse 14. 
He says, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. I love the poetic nature. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death, the other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men and women of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. In this particular place, he's calling their, their attention to what would have been a parade of providence. Back for a Greek community, after they would go out and they would win a war, they would bring back captives and they would march them down like the main street or the main thoroughfare of where they were. And there were two different pieces of this crowd. There were the people that were Greek citizens and there were the captives. And then there were these gods, who, these uh, priests of the god Balak, pagan gods, who would have these incense urns, and the fragrance would just disperse between the entire crowd. One smell, two completely different responses. Those who were in chains, they would smell it, and no matter how sweet the aroma, that smell would remind them that at the end of this day, they were dead, or they wish they would be. But then the people on the outside, the Greek citizens, they would smell it, and they would be like, man, Greek, uh, Greece has life, Rome has life, we are expanding our borders, we have won again. Paul in this place is saying, no, we're not an aroma of Greek nature or an aroma of Rome. We are an aroma of Christ. To all people, whether saved or not, we should be pointing them to Jesus. Saved or not, we should be pointing them to Jesus. And where this metaphor breaks down, the people in the middle of that street who were held captive, at the end of the day, they had no hope. But the people that are around us daily, the people in our homes, the people in our communities, the people in our workplace, the people in our play spaces, there's still hope for them if the gospel is heard and understand because faith comes through hearing and hearing the word of God according to Romans 10. Are we being in a Roma? Are we reminding people, whether they know Jesus or they not, are we reminding them, are we pointing them to Jesus when they see our life, when they smell our life? Do they see Jesus? And I'm not about bringing about guilt, but I am about telling us what God has called us to be, what he's called us from, and what he's called us into. He has not called us into a life to be simple churchgoers. He's not called me into a life to be a simple churchgoer. He's called me into a life of being new, looking new, smelling new, acting new, thinking new, being new, responding new, loving new. He's called me out of uselessness into usefulness. And he says, I have redeemed you for a purpose, a purpose bigger than yourself. Have we accepted it? Have we embraced it? Have we even looked at it? And you say, well, man, that, that all seems really heavy. You're making me feel real bad. Let's go back to Revelation. I want to reread verse 18. Verse 19 is going to be up there, and that's fine. It says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, which they did in that town. I counsel so that you may be rich and white garments, which when you clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. They made those and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may, be, so that you may see. They used those. They made those. In verse 19, he says this, though. He says, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. And here's the beauty. Gosh, I mean, God just smacks us around so well, like a loving father. And I know that sounds terribly well, but sometimes I need that. Like, sometimes I need the swat to the back of my head to make me move. God says this, like, if you are feeling conviction and you are feeling a pointed nature to redirect, to go from uselessness to usefulness, understand that is the conviction, that is the reprove, and that is the discipline of a loving father, not an angry God. He says, those whom I love, 
I reprove and I discipline. If there is conviction there, that is not proof of anger. That's proof of love. Because God desires, God desires, richly desires that we would not sit on our salvation, but we would be useful for a kingdom that He is ushering in through His people. And He says, so if conviction's there, man, that's love. And so He says, if you're feeling that love, He said, be zealous and repent. Run to repentance. Don't sit on it. Don't wait. Don't say, someday I'll get there. No, no, no. It says, get up and go. Be zealous. Be fervent. Be diligent. Be quick to repent. And most of the time we think of repentance as just turning from something wrong that we've been doing. But again, this idea of repentance, it must expand to just sin, not just sins of commission, but also sins of omission. Sometimes we need to turn from what we're not doing and turn towards what we should be doing. And then right after that, I love, man, I love the imagery. He says, those whom I love, I reprove and I discipline, so be zealous and repent. Verse 20 which most often is taken out of context. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. He says, Look, this is why I love you. I love you so that you can be useful. I'm urging you to be zealous and repent. And the way that you know that you've done that, I will come back in and the union will be restored. That, that feeling of conviction, that's him knocking and saying, Turn. Turn from your uselessness, uselessness, turn to usefulness, and guess what? Then all will be restored. I'll come back in. I'll sit with you. I'll eat with you. Like we talk about the value of eating with one another and having coffee with one another. Man, this started long before I had an appetite. God's going to use this as a metaphor of relationship being restored, breaking bread together, eating together in one's homes, all of those things. He's like, look, you, you be zealous, you repent, I'll come in, I'll sit crazy thing is when sin is there, when sin is perpetuating our uh, rebellious nature against God, that union can't be felt. That breaking bread together with God cannot be felt because sin is a blinder to that. He says, but you be zealous, you repent, you turn from that, man, it'll be restored. I won't ask you to explain. I won't ask you to write an essay. No, no, no. I'll just come in, I'll sit down, and we'll eat. I'll come in, I'll sit down, we'll eat. So maybe today, repentance of just from sitting on salvation, thinking that this is the goal. Now, this is great. This is a response. Like, we need to do this. This is valuable. This is important. But this is not the goal. Like this, this is not the goal. The goal is so that every man, woman, and child would have repeated opportunities to hear and respond to the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that he can save them, they can't save themselves. And we get to be partakers and tellers of this, servers, waiters, and waitresses. If we continue in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, by the way, it says, who is sufficient to be the fragrance, the aroma of Christ? In chapter 3, it says, hey, that sufficiency is not in you. It's not in me. It only rests in Jesus. It only rests in Jesus to make us servers, ministers of the new covenant, the new deal. Every one of us have been made worthy through Jesus. Every one of us have been equipped through Jesus. Every one of us have been indwelled by the Holy Spirit who enables us to take the message of the gospel like a waiter or a waitress at the magic kingdom and take it to any and all so that they may have a chance to repent and turn to Jesus the same way that we did. So maybe today we need to repent. Maybe today we've been sitting on our salvation. We think that the goal of salvation is just so that we can know God. But no, no, no. 
The point of salvation is so that all may have an opportunity to know God. Even the point of my salvation is so that all may have an opportunity to know God. So that my children, my neighbors, my co-workers, they may have an opportunity to know God. Not just me. Jesus came to redeem a people, not a person. So this is what I would ask you to do. Like if, if we were using acronyms and if we were cool, we'd say consider your COI or your circle of influence. What is your circle of influence? Where do you meander in life in which you have influence over other people? Most people have like three areas. Most people have their home, their neighborhood, and their workplace. Those are three simple ones. But maybe you have more. Maybe you play kickball every Tuesday night. I don't know. More grown men tear their hamstrings every week playing kickball than any other recreational sport out there. But go for it. Hey, tear your hamstring for Jesus. I don't care. I'll take you to the doctor when you, when you have to go get, it, get an MRI and see if it's torn. I don't care. Where are your circles of influence? Where are the places in which people look for you and listen to you? Where are the places in which you can influence people? Where are those? And, oh, man, and here's the question. Like, we ask the question a lot as a church. Like, if we cease to exist, would the city miss us? Now I ask this question after considering your circles of influence. If you moved tomorrow, if you relocated tomorrow, would people miss you in those circles of influence? Would their chances of seeing Jesus on display, the heart of God, would those chances go down if you left? Or would they stay the same? And again, I'm not out to make you feel guilty. I'm not out to make you feel like garbage. I'm not. And I'm speaking to myself, too. I consider my circles of influence. Would the people that are in your circles, would their chances of seeing Jesus' heart on display, would they go down if you left? Would they miss you? Would the chances of them hearing the gospel, would those chances go down, or would they stay the same if you left, if you moved? What do we do with the salvation that we've been granted? Like, what do we do with the grace that has been lavished upon us, poured out upon us, what are we doing with it? What are we doing with it? Have you ever been told that you're a minister? Like, have you ever been told that as a result of by grace through faith, according to Scripture, I'm not calling you a pastor, but I'm calling you a minister, and what minister means is a server, simply a server, a waiter or a waitress, and the gospel is on our tray. Have you ever been told that you're a minister? Because Scripture tells you that you are, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We are all, not just pastors, not just deacons, not just elders, not just community group leaders, all who have been bought with the blood of Jesus. We're all ministers, every single one. Have you heard that before? Maybe you need to. Maybe you need to hear that you should be carrying the gospel everywhere you go, not just inside of you, but out of you. It should be here, but it's got to come out. How do we get to that point? I think the first thing we do is we just, we just simply start a day or do it before you go to bed or do it at some point and say, Father God, what do you want from me today or tomorrow? What do you want from me? What do you want from me? How do you want to use me? Just that simple, day by day, one foot in front of the other, tomorrow morning, God, what do you want from me? What do you want me to do? And be prepared to listen. Be prepared to speak. Be prepared to love. Be prepared to be kingdom useful. And this is not motivation that, like, I don't want to sicken God, but it's, it should be motivation to see what we've been saved from and saved into, to understand that and God's desire is that we pick up this gospel and we move with it. We do something with it. We don't just sit on it. 
God, what do you want me to do? How can I be used today? Maybe before you get there, like we talked about, maybe, maybe you do just need to confess to God, hey, God, you know what? This gift of salvation is great, but I've done nothing with it. I'm going to confess that to you now, and I want to turn from that. I want to turn from this place. Sin's always on my right for some reason when I'm up here. Maybe I should put it over here for you guys. But, like, whatever it is, like, if it's uselessness, man, just turn from it. Say, God, I don't want to be that anymore. I want to be this. I want, I want to be used by you. I don't just want to sit on grace. Maybe before you can begin to ask God, hey, God, what do you want me to do today? Maybe you just need to say, God, forgive me for not doing anything with what you've given me. Forgive me. I confess it to you. I am turning from it the best that I can. Enable me, empower me, equip me to leave that behind and just pick up the gospel and run with it. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's us. Because I can tell you, if we're waiting for Sundays to save this city, they won't. If we're waiting for one event a month to save this city, it won't. If we're waiting for our neighbors to meet your other godly friend so that they may come to Jesus, they may not but they see you. If you're waiting for a pastor, mm, if you're waiting for a pastor to tell your kid about Jesus, don't. You tell them about Jesus. If you're waiting for your coworkers to hear about Jesus, you find a way, you pray for a way, you seek a way to tell them about Jesus. And I'll just go ahead and tell you this, even if your job tells you that you can't. Sorry to burst your bubble, but the call of God supersedes the rules of man. And I know, you're looking at me, you're like, you're a pastor, you get to tell everybody. I still work in places to where they tell me I can't, but I'm going to. There's ways. We just got to look for them. Hmm. God, we love you. We thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you for your truth. God, we thank you for loving conviction. We thank you that when we feel the prick on our heart, God, of, of you telling us that things aren't just right, we know that you're not angry with us. You love us, and you want us to turn. You want us to adjust. You want us to course correct. God, I pray that we would see the glory and the value of the gospel as being greater than any other message, any other word, any other idea, any other supposed truth in this world. And that, God, we would realize that every single day that we have died to self and we are alive in you, but, God, you would enable us, you would equip us, you would empower us, and you would drive us to share that with those around us in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in all of those circles in which people see us, they hear us, they know us. God, you would provide opportunity. But in the midst of opportunity, God, I pray that you would provide boldness for us. God, I pray that you would equip us to be uh, just speakers of the gospel, servers of the gospel, ministers of this gospel, this new covenant. And God, to your glory, I pray that many would turn. I pray that many would turn to you and turn from sin and call you Lord. Thank you that by grace through faith you've saved us from one place and you've put us into a kingdom a kingdom with a message that saves. We love you today. We love you tomorrow. Thank you for allowing us to love you forever. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.